0: The Money Cafe is brought to you by Eureka Report, your one-stop shop for all things finance. To sign up for your free 15-day trial, head to eurekareport.com.au. Now it's time to enjoy today's episode.
1: Hello, I'm Alan Kohler, founder of Eureka Report, finance presenter on ABC News, and columnist for New Daily.
2: Hello, I'm Stephen Main, contributor at Eureka Report, founder of Crikey, shareholder, advocate and city of Manhattan councillor. And I am James Thompson,
0: clear columnist at the Australian Financial Review. And we are the, the Money, Money Cafe.
2: Cafe in the three-man
1: yes. <laughs> chorus. There's three of us here today, everybody. And we have a bit of an audience. We have Will, Nick and Sophia. G'day Well done We've sold out in. the Albert Hall And we have another table of accidental audience
0: <laughs> We appreciate
2: them too So we'll try With and keep dog, it down yeah. for them
1: <laughs> It's not hailing either which is So
2: good. here we are at the end of 2022 And so Parliament is, is sitting Parliament This is late sitting in the year day. For the first time since 1993 When they were called back to pass the Marbo legislation okay. So the energy crisis has taken us deep into December Right. For
1: a fix. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yes. Which raises one of the deals of the year, I reckon, which was um, Tony Burke's deal with David Pocock to get their um, their IR legislation through. Hmm. That was not a bad deal. I mean, you know, for the government to have uh, pulled that off. Yeah,
0: it's interesting how
1: Pocock is
0: really calling the shots, isn't he?
1: Yeah, he's and and. I mean, God forbid, he seems to have the national interest at heart. Yes. <laughs> he's off to
2: a good start,
0: I think. I would say so. Yeah. You, you don't yeah. see any sort of Brian Harrodine esque
2: uh, traits? No, I think he seems like him? a reasonable lefty. Okay. So he's not he's an anti-business. Of <laughs> course he is. He's, he's a climate, a, he's he's a climate he, independent. Of course he's a lefty. But You've he's, got to
1: get out of this business of calling climate issues right and left. Oh,
2: okay, but he's okay, not a green this- ideologically. He's more pro-business as the IR well, you know, he, he's, he's got a small business bent as well. So I think yeah. he's going to be a good, honest broker in there. I reckon he's dead centre.
1: That's what I... Anyway. Hmm. That's not... I
0: get well, he's certainly be. powerful. It's. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's, that's right. All roads lead to him and through him at
1: the moment, don't they? Well, that's
2: they? right, and I think that that... And Jackie from. Lambie. Yeah. So I don't mind that balance. She slightly leans right, leans right. He slightly leans left. They're not a bad little odd couple for balance of power. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah. He certainly must be putting in a power of work to get across everything.
1: What do you reckon is the the worst deal of the year before we get on to other good deals? It's got to be Elon Musk taking over Twitter for $44 billion, doesn't it?
2: it would seem because I mean, it's crashed the price of Tesla apart from anything else correct not since rio tinto paid 44 <laughs> billion dollars as well in uh, 2007 for alcan have we seen one entity lose so much cash so quickly on a stupid deal and this one's different isn't it like the it's almost
0: impossible to believe it's, it, it's impossible to understand why you'd want twitter and then it's impossible to believe why you'd pay so much. Oh, no,
2: it's the Murdoch effect. He, he is incredibly powerful. Now, mm. he can put Trump back on. He is the most famous business figure in the world. He's not – I mean, the thing about American billionaires is normally they don't have political power, but he is now a American billionaire with a lot of political power. He's got a triple play going. He's got $47 billion worth of SpaceX shares, $78 billion worth of, Twitter sh- of uh, Tesla shares, and supposedly $44 billion value on – Twitter, but that's obviously crashed to probably ten or fifteen. He's not in for all the forty-four though. Bankers, no,
1: he's are, not. bankers. He's got minority shareholders, but uh, and you would think that those bankers and minority shareholders won't let him or wouldn't let him destroy the joint. I mean, or well, won't be in their interest. But I, I just don't, I don't see know, what though. I don't see how his Twitter
0: um, venture adventure helps any of his other business interests. I mean, I, I sort of get what you're saying, Stephen, about it. Gives him power But is it Is it a real Is it much of a real Type of power I don't know
2: Oh he's got His fame and power I mean everyone is Talking about him All day every day I mean People yeah, are doing that anyway I mean what's he gained I mean The a Murdochs The Murdochs used to be The most powerful family In the world I'd, I'd, I'd argue that Elon Musk Is Is rivaling The Murdochs now For global power And prestige Yeah, but
1: Murdoch's power rises from the uh, ability to tell editors what to put in the newspapers, right? Musk can only uh, pull people off. He can't tell them what to write in Twitter. He can't actually use – Murdoch uses his media as, uh, you know, as a – as a force,
2: can Murdoch right? But Twitter, can but can of us can't do sound off about Apple and get a personal visit around the the Apple campus by Tim Cook just by making a few noises? That's power. Oh, okay,
1: but I you know, just don't He's, think he's, he's launched against the thirty
2: percent Apple tax.
1: He can't use Twitter in that way. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not seeing it. Uh,
2: Ukrainian uh, satellites. Elon Musk is that, pivotal to the war. Yeah, but that. that I mean, that, that, is, I mean climate money. change. He's Tesla. He's, to the he's climate change. He's but,
0: everywhere. But, but I just don't quite see how Twitter accentuates
2: those uh, things. Yeah. Well, it's getting the stock's going to keep falling. I mean, the stock peaked at four hundred and seven dollars on November five last year. Twitter. He made his play starting in April it closed today at one hundred and fifty nine. So it really has crashed from yeah. peak to trough. Either
1: you're calling Elon Musk drongo of the year.
2: Yeah, well, I've changed that. Sam changed. Bankman-Fried is now a drongo <laughs> of the year.
0: Yeah, he's. Uh, I reckon the deal of the year is uh, BHP buying Oz Minerals. Oh yeah, I reckon that will prove in the next few years. It hasn't to happened be, yet. Oh, it's it's, it's done. <laughs> yeah. That that'll prove to be an absolute steal.
2: When someone buys something for. 10 times what they could have bought it for 10 years ago, it can never be deal of the year. No. I mean, where was BHP when Minerals was almost broke in the GFC? They could have snapped up the lot rather than the Chinese well, getting half of Minerals and only leaving Prominent Hill left over, the last single asset in the
0: company. BHP had its own problems then. I, 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 I Just think that the amount of electrification we need around the world, copper is, there's none of it anywhere. This thing's going to be worth multiples of what they've paid for it. Well, I reckon future. the
1: deal of the year... Uh, you know, I know you want to know this. Mm. Uh, is uh, the, the takeover of Sydney Airport at uh, basically the bottom of the market? Yeah, yeah. You know, are you um, trying to
2: say thirty-two billion is cheap? I am. But they could have I bought it for $5.3 billion off the government in 2001. Well, well that may be true, all you, all this all they this, could have done anything could have, 20 years earlier. I think all no, these, these yeah. top-of-the-market buys are a great this is deal.
0: top-of-the-market market top no, no, for
1: copper or uh, transport. Or airports. <laughs> no, it's just the beginning. I mean, come, uh, Sydney Airport is has uh, got a
2: huge value. I mean, what's, what's it worth? $100 I mean, anything. A piece of reclaimed land on Sydney Harbour's worth a hundred billion. Come on, Alan. No,
1: no. I think it's worth a lot
2: more than that. You've got to think who's getting Long ripped term. off here. If Qantas shares are above six bucks and Sydney Airport's worth thirty-two billion, you're saying it's cheap. Someone's getting ripped off here, and I suggest it's the flyers and the freight well, bookers of Australia.
1: It's absolutely true about that.
2: Yeah, that doesn't preclude
1: <laughs> it from being the deal of the year. In
0: fact, that enhances <laughs> his argument. It's the deal of the year for
2: David Gonski because he went from being the, the, the chairman of the Target to being the chairman of the, the new asset. The the buyers said, "Oh, David, thanks for agreeing to sell to us. Now come and be the chairman of the privately owned Sydney Airport." I thought that was an interesting one from the government. I mean, it's interesting. To...
1: We we will we should save this because a few of our questions today are about unlisted superannuation assets, mm. which now include Sydney Airport. Yes. Um, so we can perhaps. I mean, that's one big asset that's gone from listed to unlisted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and
2: Aussie Super are in there for quite a few billion on that one. Absolutely. And we, super still? But I'm gonna go for a different deal of the year. I'm gonna say that BHP's exit from oil and gas by taking forty eight percent of Woodside in new shares and then distributing it to their shareholders was a very elegant way of getting out but keeping the upside for their Shareholders, unlike the way they've left 10 billion plus on the table by selling out of coal for cash
0: too soon and missing, missing the boom on coal. To use your argument, it can't possibly be the deal of the year because oil prices and gas prices have exploded since then and will
2: continue to do and, so. And so BHP shareholders left. are benefiting from that because they got stock in Woodside. They've, but, they've, they've, they're sharing in the upside. Well, There's a whole no, stock, whole stock deal.
1: No, no, I, think, I think Stephen makes a good point about that. The upside. They're actually is getting retained. more
2: of the upside because they were part of a portfolio on BHP and then they've gone into a pure play oil and gas, which is rocketing at the moment. So they're actually making more money having, having gone into that pure play. So well, I reckon that was a great deal.
0: Rocketing until there was a cap on. Just
2: gas. remind you, though, just for history, that don't forget that BHP sold 30% of Woodside for $525 million in 1990 at $2.98 a share. So stupid divestment by BHP. <laughs> Thirty-two years
1: ago. You are, you are being oh, you are being Harry Hindsight today. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, Unbelievable.
2: He's, he's all about the hindsight now.
1: Um, okay, so talk speaking of which, what's your worst deal what's your worst call of the year, James? Oh,
0: my worst call of the year is easy because I had to pay up to you and I said Josh Frydenberg would hold the seat of Yong, in which we currently sit. And he didn't, and I had to pay you $20. So that was uh, not only my worst call, but my least profitable call.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And that's why Josh Frydenberg is one of my drongos of the year, because not only did he try and kill off the proxy advisory industry and then uh, backed backed Morrison, who secretly took his job, he then somehow couldn't persuade 54,276 people who preferred Monique Ryan over him. And that led us to having Peter Dutton as opposition leader. So thanks very much, Josh.
1: Yeah. Um, Yes. That's a fair
0: nomination for Drongo of the Year. I reckon I've got you both covered on Drongo of the Year, though. Uh, Jeff Bainbridge, the former CEO of Lark Distilling, uh, who, of course, um, claimed that he'd been filmed in his undies smoking ice as part of an extortion attempt when uh, media reports later suggested that he might have been smoking ice in his undies in his own house. <laughs> uh, and he spectacularly quit
2: last yes. was down a, about 50%. That was a good Murdoch hit, that was. Well, Breaking was good, that story. Good, that, was good, that was good journalism, was good yeah. journalism <laughs> had to be exposed, yeah. and he is O-U-T out. <laughs> <laughs> I got another Drongo of the Year. Well, Scott Morrison for the multiple ministries. I mean, that was just appalling. And then Lachlan Murdoch for for suing Crikey and demanding that we answer 180 of his questions in the federal court whilst he imposes a one-question limit on shareholders at his AGMs and analysts at his (laughs) earnings call. What a hypocrite. Hmm. (laughs) What's going to happen in that Crikey action, do you think, Stephen? Uh, Well, it's a nine-day trial leading into Easter next year. Um, Even if Crikey goes down for two or three million including costs, I still think they win, just from the global publicity increase in subscriptions, donations. I mean, they've had 600,000 donated right. through a GoFundMe. Okay. Imagine what's going when it actually goes to court for nine days and Lachlan's giving evidence. Mm. So I, I mm. can't see how it doesn't settle. Lachlan would be mad to run that.
1: Why would he go to court? I mean, honestly, I mean, it'll we're be Ben Smith all over again. I
2: know. I know. It's yeah. just, it's just, right? it's just yeah. crazy. Yeah,
0: so. Who's the business personality of the year, Alan? Oh,
1: it's hard to go past Andrew Forrest. It's interesting, really. I agree. um, Just the the big play for CWP, I think, is really interesting. Yeah,
2: we've been telling Um, him all year to stop spending Fortescue's money on his green dreams, and (laughs) and he followed our advice. And he's gone. He's written the biggest personal check ever by an Australian and he's written a cheque of $4 billion to be uh, the, the biggest player in renewables. Mm-hmm. He's put his money where his mouth is, yep. which is good on him, I say. Big deal. Dan Andrews does not need to set up the SEC. <laughs> Twiggy's going to do it all for him.
1: And the other person I'd like to mention in terms of business person of the year is Sh- uh, Shamara Wickramasinghe, um, CEO of Macquarie, who just quietly gets on with it. She's the highest paid executive in the country –
2: She's, She's never sold a share in 30 years. Never sold a share. She's she, got $300 million worth of shares.
1: She just quietly runs Macquarie. Mm. You don't see her much in the press, you know, um, but she just gets on with it. Macquarie's just going from strength to strength. I think that um, that's, there's kudos there.
2: I had a coffee with Laurie Cox the other week, the former chairman of the ASX and a long-time director at Macquarie, and he could not sing her praises Hardly enough, Just she says she, she, she built the house, she works like a trooper, she is a genius. Yeah. Even better than Nicholas Moore. Yeah.
0: I've got a, I, this is not business person of the year, but business personality of the year. I reckon the most interesting person's Alan Joyce. You look at Qantas, he's been absolute fury in the middle of the year about their you know delays and treatment of customers, treatment of staff. Qantas is up 45% since the middle of the year. Um, four four hundred million dollar buyback. I, I just think it's fascinating that this the sort of white hot rage against Joyce. He's he's come through that, um, and delivered do, some big money for shareholders. I do love size. it how they've re-
2: reported seven billion dollars of write offs in three years. They've claimed they've got negative negative net assets, and the market cap's over ten billion. Yeah, well there you go. <laughs> I mean, Joyce is the single best CEO I've ever seen on the stand, whether it's at a parliamentary inquiry, mm. whether it's copying a grilling from the unions and all sorts of people at his AGMs. He has an answer for everything. I've never seen a CEO so across the brief in such a politically contentious, consumer consensus, complex safety. He, he is a genius in yeah. my mind.
1: It's just, it's just
0: an interesting. You get to the end of the year and you think, I can't decide whether he's... Whether he's had a great year or a terrible one, I mean, not everyone has, you know, a uh, uh, catchphrase, you've been joist coined about them, but um, mm. it, it's fascinating, he probably gets the he's, end he's, of the year and been, goes... He's
1: been running the place for a while too.
0: Oh, he? this uh, is, ten, he's basically in the twilight of his time.
2: Yeah, he's there. done sure. 10 years, yeah. you know, so more, he, he's more. up there with oh, Shamara, um, uh, Brian McNamee... Your, you know, your man Scott Charlton. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I mean, monopoly toll roads, though it's pretty. It's much simpler <laughs> than running Qantas. Yes, I'll tell true, you. True, so, yeah. But just in now the I'm going to go for a different business personality. I'm going to go for an international. So, Bernie Arnaud has just Ooh, replaced yeah. Musk, Musk as the richest man in the world. He's a 73-year-old Frenchman. He's mm. done it without some government monopoly. He was a property developer in France who. Bought Christian Dior in 1984 off the French government. I don't know how the government owned Christian Dior. Right. He became executive chairman, with a, wrote a big cheque of the public company in 1989. He's been executive chairman for 33 years. His stake's now worth $188 billion. He lifted profits by 30% uh, to €6 billion Euros in the latest half. Mm. I just wish he'd pay back the $6 million in JobKeeper that he took. He did <laughs> not need to get on the JobKeeper Raw really? when he's worth $188 billion. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, that was famous. And he backed <laughs> Macron. And he backed Macron. And Macron's seen off the far right, 58-42 against Le Pen. That would have been a geopolitical disaster if Le Pen. So Bernie's man is the Prime Minister and the French have just made the World Cup final. Are so you, I reckon Bernie's...
1: Yeah, the King French have made King, made the, he's thrown in the World Cup as well. Are, are no, you no, repping but, any of his gear today?
2: No, I can't afford any of oh, that, right, that
1: stuff. Okay. You know, so, no, and, you know, so what's your worst call, Stephen?
2: Oh well I kept saying that um that the albo should nationalise transurban <laughs> so I think that was just an inaccurate call my best call was predicting Canon Brooks would bid for AGL yes, I think I got that one right very and great. I also on the on this uh, particular podcast predicted that the Ukrainians would win within 3 months that was a bad call they'd win within 3 months or well, be all over in 3 wouldn't last be all over would right. get well, out well
1: I was uh, speaking of bad calls I was reading back over my weekend briefings uh, last night and on, <laughs> on January 29th, my second weekend briefing of the year, mm. uh, I confidently predicted that Vladimir Putin would not invade Ukraine. Right. <laughs> I, uh, I wrote, invasion? Mm. Question mark. Give me a break. Oh. Because I, I reasoned that uh, he would get bogged down. Ukraine's too big. They'd lose too many troops. The sanctions would uh, destroy the economy. He wouldn't be that crazy. And turned out he was that crazy, and the things that I kind of predicted have come come to pass. I mean, but after he, my weekend briefing after the invasion, the first one, mm. so it was a couple of days later, <laughs> I confidently <laughs> predicted. <laughs> That Kiev would fall quickly, <laughs>
2: right? <laughs> and here we
1: are in December, and Kiev has not fallen, and and uh, Russia couldn't even hang on to Kursan. Curse, curse
2: on. Curse on. All right, well, give us your tip. Where, where are we in twelve months' time with uh, Russia-Ukraine? Well, no What's happening?
1: There's no point in me giving any tips at all. I got, I've got <laughs> right. no idea about anything. Um, I think it's Yo. still dragging on. In twelve months' time.
2: No, nah, I think Putin is gone and... Uh, you got, you're
0: getting this on tape, Greg? Yeah, yeah, Keep I'm talking, saying yeah. In,
2: in, in Putin, 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 there'll be regime change in, in Russia and oh, oh, yeah. Navalny will be Prime Minister in 12 months' time.
1: Wow. In, the, in the briefing after they invaded, I also predicted that Putin would be subject to an uprising in Russia.
2: Yeah, well, I'm with you on that.
1: clearly will not now happen.
2: It's <laughs> more likely in Russia than China. <laughs> well, that's true. Well,
0: uh, my big call for 2023 involves predictions as well. Uh, poor predictions by the RBA governor, and I think he is not given another term oh, later this year. Well, that's, that's, a lay that's down the easiest, that's that's the easiest, easiest prediction. prediction. Oh, He's the most sackable
2: central, govern, <laughs> central bank governor in the world <laughs> at the moment. Well, well, and they don't have to sack him; they just have to not not renew his. Co- not He's give him been a there term. forever already. He says, Five nah, years. That's they're going to have to
1: appoint. They'll have to appoint a, a an outsider, an
2: outside a, female, a,
1: an outside female, yeah. and it'll be, I predict, yes. Car- Carolyn Wilkins. Who is the former Deputy Governor of the Bank of Canada who is on the re- uh, three-person review panel. And which of, of the big... R- oh, of the an r- old school... She's an old school yeah. uh, Reserve uh, Central Banker who's study- uh, currently studying the Reserve Bank of Australia. She's going to study her way into the gig. She will <laughs> come out of this review process in March knowing everything there is to know about how the Reserve Bank operates. Yep. She, uh, if she isn't appointed, is not appointed the governor she should be
2: I reckon they should offer it to Alan I've said that before Cola or yeah, Cola. yeah oh. Kohler I think he'd make a very good governor well he's right across geopolitics never short of an learned. opinion <laughs> he, he's, he's as decisive as, 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 as there'll be no move in <laughs> until 2024 yeah. you know you're never afraid to stick your neck out like Dr Lowe I reckon you'd be excellent. Right. Well, what's your big call? Well, I was going to have a go at uh, at the Reserve Bank. I was going to say, which of the big five banks do you think Dr. Lowe will finish on the board of? So McFarlane mm. went to ANZ. Glenn Stevens is currently the chairman of Macquarie. And given that Dr Lowe has given the banks a $188 billion term facility for three years fixed at 0.1%, yes. I reckon a few of them are probably pretty happy with him. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him pop up on the Westpac or NAB. It depends on whose turn is it to look after a Reserve Bank governor. I guess Westpac and NAB and uh, yeah, all kind CBA haven't done it yet.
1: So is who pulls the who pulls whose turn short is it? straw That's right.
2: <laughs> someone's got to take the old gov on. Yeah. We always do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, fair enough Fair enough yeah. Well, yes. now you've poo-pooed my big call Is
2: that, Do you have another one? Big call for next year. Oh, my big call for next year was going to be um, uh, regime change in Russia. Okay. Right. And wall to wall Labour. So I think that uh, Perrottet will lose. Oh, I think and You reckon my have, big call's not going to be. Wall to wall Labour, <laughs> with the exception of Tasmania. Is that, there mm. is
1: a New South Wales election next year, is that? March. March, right. Yeah. So Labour Labor wins that, and it's, it's Labour everywhere it's then. Labour absolutely everywhere. Where, where do you think rates peak, Alan? Uh, I personally, I think one more. One more? One more. In February?
2: Only uh, one, even after the, the US went half a percent overnight.
1: One more, yeah, yeah. What about you?
0: Yeah, I think two more. Yeah, I can see three more.
2: Oh, there you go. Yeah, one, two, write three. that one we're down, one,
1: two,
2: three, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> none of us have said whether it was twenty-five or fifty. <laughs> oh no, so we've, well, got well, a, I we've got we No, right. no we get to three
1: point eight five percent. We're we're down to twenty-five. Twenty-five. Yeah, yeah I'm saying another point five. So overall. I reckon the peak will be three point three five. I can't see why they would need to keep going. It's absolutely. I mean, I think they could justifiably stop they now. Could stop.
2: I agree. They should stop now, but they, they
1: won't. They could absolutely stop now, but probably won't. Wages running at five to ten percent. Everyone I
0: speak to, they're not stopping now.
2: Nah. No, way. Yeah, no. fair enough.
0: Yeah. no way. Um,
2: now I wanted to throw before we go to questions. Throw in the worst AGM speech of the year <laughs> was Russland Kogan, founder of Kogan, oh. who stood up and said, "All I'm doing by standing up here is proving that I can read. So if you want to see my speech, have a look at the ASX announcement." And
0: that's he sat the, down. That's literally the best <laughs> AGM speech.
2: <laughs> he literally exactly just said, "We right. hey, go and read it somewhere else." I'm sitting down, so he didn't deliver it and. He didn't deliver an AGM speech. He just posted b- what he might deliver, and then told everyone to go and read it. That meant he gave more time for your questions. Well, thanks, Ruslan. That was great. And, you and you, they yeah. shut them down prematurely you, as well. Did you ask
1: did. them some uh, him Ruslan
2: Kogan some pointed questions? Well, uh, a couple, but um, I was I've never seen a, a CEO do that before. Well, what, what do you think? Just while we've got you on AGMs, like, do you
0: think we've got the balance right between hybrid and? Uh, in person Like hybrid's the way to go Isn't it We don't want to virtuals
2: I have to admit I don't know why All these institutions And proxy advisors Keep voting down virtuals Really? I love virtuals Because they They have to deal With your questions When they do a hybrid They can let the room Dominate And they can then Sort of cut off The at home people oh, Surely so, you so, need to see The whites of their Yeah I love hybrids but, you know, they still have the option of doing physical. So all the billionaires like, like Twiggy mm. and uh, Kerry Stokes and Solly Lou, they don't allow online questions. They right. make you, Jerry Harvey, they make you turn up. So there's too much wiggle room now. I okay. think they should make the law hybrids.
1: Yeah, me too.
2: All right, question time?
1: Oh, the other big call to make for, the only other call to make for 2023 is that um, the Michelle Levy review of financial advisors yeah. will actually make a big change. It'll change, it'll get rid of the best interest duty and replace it with uh, um, good advice, in quotes. Yep. That you have to give good good advice. And I'm hearing from the industry that this might result in the banks getting back into financial advice. Yeah. And I'm not sure about that, but but there's a bit of a – uh, there's a bit of a sort of discussion about that going on. Uh,
0: uh, uh, yes, I mean we heard from a bank CEO recently, and he was pretty he was pretty nervous about that. I, I think they might get back into it with some sort of affiliate arrangements, you know. So they'll they'll have uh, a program with one of the big advisors. It might give AMP and Insignia, which is IWF's new name, a bit of a boost. Um, but I think that advice will be coaching rather than full financial planning. Because,
2: you know, the, the numbers of Crash Insignia is down to 1,500 advisors yeah. and they bought ANZ and uh, NAB's business. And AMP is down to a, just over 1,000. Yeah. Whereas, what, whereas the, the Australian Retirement Trust, the old Sun Super, Q Super, they have over 4,000. So yeah. industry uh, industry funds, though, it, right? it's not it's not yeah. that sort of full-blown
0: sort of – I think that, that – Super fun model of not the full blown advice, but some sort of coaching. What yeah. are your goals? Let's work through it. Here are some
1: ideas. That's yeah. where we'll get to. Yeah. But but that's but not a bad thing. But also the 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 change that Michelle Levy will probably bring about um, will enable more uh, robo advice. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, so that's scalable. So the banks and the banks and the big yeah. organisations can get into that because you can scale it. It'll it'll still need human interaction though. That
0: AMP says. When they do forms of robo-advice, people get to a certain point and then they go, no, I'm not pressing the next button. I'm not making the big decision. So you'll still need a human to come in at that point, but it'll be, you know, a lesser qualified human who can do more.
2: Yeah. Now, before questions, I had one more line from an AGM I wanted to mention. The most counterintuitive line I heard all year from Ken McKenzie, chairman of BHP, quote, The faster the world decarbonises, the better it is for BHP. Well, that comes back to my Oz Minerals call, which you poo pooed. Oh, well, I'm just saying, I overpaid for it. That's all. It was too late. No. Ten years too late. But that is, isn't it that interesting that they're saying so? They're out of coal, and they're now saying that the faster it is, the more money we make because yeah. they're in potash and copper. they're in copper and nickel and all the stuff for electrification. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Except yeah. lithium.
2: Yeah, I know. You would have, you would have thought they'd say that if they were huge in lithium, and they haven't really made that. No, play. no we, they don't we want it.
1: James and I actually pinned down the CEO. Uh, on this subject, over dinner once, and um, you know, uh, he was saying, uh, quite uh, understandably, saying that there's not enough scale. All the products are too small. Uh, the mines are too small. There's, the the industry is too small. I mean, I, and there's I don't too think much was, lithium.
2: They should have bought Alchem. Which is now worth ten billion. That's that's the that's the Aricombre or whatever it was called, um, and Galaxy Resources yeah. formed Alchem, which is ten percent of the world's lithium market. Market cap ten billion. No. BHP should buy them.
0: Rio Rio Tinto minerals. Rio Tinto likes lithium. L- that they might be the one to buy something big, but it won't be BHP. They do not believe in lithium.
2: Yeah, they're not, they're not interested. Yeah, they claim they are all you know. Yeah, yeah well, 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 the world's going to need a lot if more copper be. Lithium. If they're a world's biggest miner, they should be in lithium. Um, questions. questions? Questions. Steve,
1: uh, Ryan's first question. Presumably this is Ryan Stokes. Isn't it?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Curious to hear your take on the Stokes moral takeover now that the dust has settled. Note that their ownership is at 72.6% after the exchangeable bonds arrangement in October. Is
2: the next logical move complete ownership? Stephen. No, look, Stokes overpaid for borrow. so he bid $7.40 a share. He only wanted to get to sort of 35% and he suddenly found himself at 70. So he had to take out the world's, Australia's biggest ever margin loan at $7.2 <laughs> $6.2 billion. He then had to do a fire sale of borrow assets to pay the bank back. So he sold off $5.8 billion of borrow assets, mainly in the US, did a $3 billion capital return. That paid back, what, $2.72 a share. But then Borrell's remaining businesses, the EBIT was down 32% this year, so he clearly overpaid. So I think he's probably down five or six hundred million by by buying Borrell, and he's regretting it.
0: Nope, definitely uh, not regretting it. Uh, he's paid off that giant loan. Uh, the the profit was down badly this year because of floods and supply chain issues. It'll bounce back, and Borrell helps their wider business. They got coats higher a range of industrial businesses, the, this is a long-term play. They'll be fine.
2: You know when you realise when a bloke is seriously rich? When you, you go to the Northern Star AGM, which is the big gold miner, Calgoorley Super Pit, and you see Stokes' private company, Roxby, mm. is in there with $107 million worth of shares. And you say, oh, he's just got another lazy <laughs> $107 million, which he's, he's put into the biggest Perth-based gold miner. That, yeah. that is a seriously rich person. Same with Jerry Harvey. He pops up on all sorts of share registers. Uh,
0: I must say, Ryan's... Um I know you you mentioned Lachlan before, but Ryan's a smart dude. I like Ryan Stokes. I actually, I
2: actually like him. I think think he's the most well-adjusted of all the kids of moguls, (laughs) you know, from James Packer to Lachlan. I think Ryan Stokes is actually the pick of the crop. How is James going, by the way? Very frequent correspondence. We're getting on very well. Really? He was interested to note that uh, Star Entertainment got charged by ASIC, nine, ten or eleven execs and directors. Crown has the letter from ASIC saying no charges. So he was saying, James. there you go. Yeah. We oh, weren't bad. Oh, they oh, were much oh, worse.
0: Joe jo Longo sort of tried to explain this this week, saying the statute of limitations, there wasn't enough evidence. Uh, uh, that's puzzling to me still.
1: Well, James, all through the night, Stephen's phone pings with uh, with uh, messages, messages. From, from James Packer. Right. Isn't that
2: right? Fine Australian. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so
1: we've got three questions on unlisted super assets. Yep. Do you want to go through them quickly?
0: Yes. Alex says, I'm in my late 20s and I'm with Australian Super and a high growth investment option. I've been hearing about how overvalued these funds' unlisted assets are right now. This has me a little nervous. Would it be wise to move my super to these unlisted assets? Out of these? Out of these unlisted assets and into something like listed equities. Do funds like Aus Super even allow me to opt out of unlisted investments?
1: Is it a good idea? Joe says, do super funds use their unlisted assets, toll roads, private equity, that kind of shit, to maintain inflate their unit price during a downturn or a bear market? And... Uh, another one on much of the same
2: Yeah, topic. so I'm gonna defend Aussie Super to start with. So with two fifty-eight billion spread across one, two point seven.
1: This, so the three questions are Alex, Joe and Tom.
2: Just yeah. So yeah, so I'm I'm gonna say don't don't run away from Aussie Super like it's some crypto exchange. I mean they are they are they've got two point seven million members. For ten years their balanced fund has re- delivered nine point three two percent a year. Yes, they went backwards 2.73% this year, but the previous year was a record 20.43%. Their outperformance has primarily come from the unlisted space. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone can buy listed equities. They are experts now. I mean, sometimes I think they're overpaying, like $32 for Sydney Airport, but... It's all pooled, it's diversified, it's global, there's different asset classes. If some airport gets into strife, there's some toll road somewhere which is booming. So I, I, I would I would say they're a, they're a great operator and I'd stick with them. Yeah, I agree. I don't, Good well, scoreboard. I certainly
1: don't. You know, if the, 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 the MTAA experience 10, you know, 12 yeah. years ago or so, where they went basically went belly up, uh, was because they put far too much into it. Mm. and uh, yeah, they were like you know, 50% they, the, in in illiquids. Well... They are, but so, they were, but, yeah. but but so, are, so are these guys. So are these guys now. So 50% has become the standard unlisted allocation.
2: But that's 50% liquidity. Imagine if banks had 50% liquidity. I mean, that's actually a lot of liquidity at 50%. Well, that's a lot of bonds and shares you can sell if you have a run on you to manage.
0: I think Alex is fine in a he's late in his late twenties. He shouldn't be moving out of a high growth investment option now. Absolutely now not. is not the time to get conservative, Alex. Mm. Um, I think it's just good. I reckon these questions are good. People are thinking about these risks. You don't have yeah. to. You don't have to panic about them. But you need to think. You know how much of my money is in stuff that's not easy to sell? This is a great conversation that people are having. I agree.
2: Private equity does outperform. I mean, I think Blackstone overpaid for Crown at $10 billion, $13 a share, giving Packer $3 billion for his like That was too much. But I was amazed. Sol Pattinson, which is a $10 billion fund. They bought Milton, which was the third biggest LIC. Mm -hmm. They've gone from $70 million in private equity to $700 million in private equity. So even the traditional licks... In, in yeah. the case of Milton Salt-Pats yeah, yeah. is actually yeah. shifting ad- asset allocation into private equity because the returns are superior. But it's yeah. going
0: to be an interesting few years for private equity. I mean, 40 years of falling interest rates is great for leveraging up returns, right? And now interest rates are going the other way. Not every operator is going to deal with that new environment. There's going to be some serious blow-ups. But
2: it, private equity is a beautiful model. You don't have all the scrutiny. You haven't got all the complexity of, of public companies and analysts and brokers and journalists. You hire the best and brightest. You give them incentives. You scale it up. And they have a 40-year track yeah. record of outperformance. But,
0: <laughs> but, but Blackstone, speaking of Blackstone, they have recently had to limit redemptions in one of their big private equity real estate funds in the yeah. US.
2: Well, they are the world's biggest pr- owner of private yeah, real estate. But, but so. exactly.
0: And, and, and people are trying to pull their money out. And this is the thing: you've got this liquidity mismatch. People can pull their money out quarterly or monthly, yeah. and you can't sell a big building for a year or yeah. you know. Yeah. So, so, there there
2: is the danger. Yeah, but you'd you'd rather than pulling your money out of Blackstone than some crypto exchange. Wouldn't of you? course, we yeah. should
1: also address uh, Joe's question of whether they're using unlisted assets to inflate their unit prices. And uh, I would say no, they're not because uh, they are genuinely independently valued. These things.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I'm, I'm amused by that because, because if you look at all the well, listed, they, no, listed they smooth, REITs.
1: They smooth anyway.
2: If you look at all the listed REITs at the yeah. moment, okay, so a, a GPT or a DEXUS will claim they've got $10, $11, 12000000000 billion of assets when the market cap's like $8. Yep. So a, and then they go, oh, it's independently value. And I keep saying, well, the market disagrees with you by 30% why aren't you writing these things down because the market's not always right the market but, i'm saying that don't is a don't good trust point, is a, don't trust market, independent uh, valuers is yes. my point because even in the public space where there's the scrutiny around market mismatch they don't adjust don't forget what
1: benjamin graham said which is that the market is a voting machine not a weighing machine yes yes <laughs> yes, yes yes but
0: <laughs> un- listed listed property assets are down 30 percent you look at what Blackstone's done, they've lifted their private real estate assets. Yeah. You know, some Someone's...
2: I don't understand why there hasn't been a series of private equity bids to take out all these these REITs. Why hasn't private equity bought Westfield, Vicinity, Dexas? Because they're all trading at, you know, 20, 30% discounts to claimed book value.
0: Well, I don't know if... I'd, yeah, I'm not, not sure if gearing up to get into properties where you want to be in the next couple of years, I guess, is the issue.
1: Okay, next one. Stephen, Philip.
2: Philip says, Do you think rising electricity prices have a similar effect to rising interest rates? Both result in people having less to spend on other things, reduce inflationary demand. Rising electricity prices affect everyone, not just those with house mortgages. And then he goes on. He's basically saying, you know, how can governments better manage to stop inflation on things like petrol prices, electricity prices?
1: Well, the first the first answer is electricity prices actually go into the CPI, whereas interest rates do not. So, putting up interest putting up electricity prices directly increases inflation, um, which will force interest rates to go up further. <laughs> exactly, but I mean Phillips right in the sense that um, interest rates are another price. Uh, electricity is another price, is an is an essential price, and it's more more essential than interest rates really. So, therefore, it
2: does have the same impact on demand. It does exactly. Mm. And what do you think about the t- today the Parliament's sitting and mm. they've got till midday. Yes. To to pass it and get it over to the Senate and the Senate's going to approve it this afternoon. So they've got one point five billion for compensation to households. Yes. And businesses, which I much prefer, much prefer just give the cash to the end user rather than start fixing prices. So they're fixing the gas price at twelve bucks, and they're telling the states to fix the coal price. Um. I don't know, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with this and would much rather they just give cash to consumers or give cash to energy retailers and stop interfering in the market by price capping.
1: I, I don't really understand why they didn't do a national gas reservation like WA does. Uh, 15, exporters have to reserve 15, 15% of their output for the local market. I
2: just don't understand why they didn't do that uh, nationally nationally. What rather than uh, and years ago or now? Well, for now, for, for many years, I mean, all those Gladstone players were billions underwater because they spent probably 50, fifty billion on all that Gladstone stuff and, and Santos and or... Origin. They all overgeared and well, were I, trading at discounts, write downs. I think the problem with the
0: reservation policy is you would have to make it retrospective, yeah. which cues compensation because you're taking something off someone. It's theft. So, and because there's not much new gas coming to the market the impact would be pretty paltry on the new in terms of reserving uh, 15% of that new gas. Yeah, but
1: what goes with that uh, reservation policy is how do you price the gas that's sold here? And the, the other problem I see is that they've actually negotiated a number, $12 for gas, $12 a gigajoule, rather than just say to the ACCC, set the price according to cost plus a return on
2: equity that's reasonable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's moving to sort of a utility regulated well, Precisely, exactly. But what other commodity operates with that globally? If we're, if we're the world's biggest beneficiary from floating international commodity prices, why would we want to come in and upset that when we make an absolute fortune out of floating iron ore prices and floating gas prices? Well, if everyone else can pay
1: floating. We, we pay... <laughs> but the less.
2: Go, but the government's making so much in corporate tax at 30% from the commodities boom, they can just take that money and compensate the people who are copping it in the neck with high energy prices yeah. at the moment. Okay. Yeah.
0: Joel says, I saw your video and heard your discussion last week regarding Australia avoiding recession due to high house prices and female employment. I'm struggling to see how this would help as I thought it would have the opposite effect wouldn't an economy with high household debt and no further room for employment, i.e. the wife is already working, mean that households are more impacted by any downturn in the economy when unemployment rises with high interest rates and a large mortgage still to service? Not to mention falling house prices too. Alan, could you explain?
1: So so absolutely correct that um, uh, high household debt means that interest rates uh, have more of an impact. Um, So that is true. The point that I was making... Is simply that the is is looking into the difference between America and Australia. America has just, the US Fed has just put up interest rates to 4.5, 4.25 to 4.5% this morning, last night. Um, They've gone up from basically zero to four and a half. Uh, Australian interest rates up from 0.1 to 3.1 at this point, probably not much more. So it, why, have it, why have US interest rates gone up so much more than Australian and there's more likely to be a recession over there is because wages are rising much faster. The American labour market is much tighter. And if you look at, if you look at workforce participation, it's incredibly telling. Uh, workforce participation in Australia has bounced back to above where it was before the pandemic. In the, in the US, it's still well below what it was before the pandemic. And the the only difference is female participation, which in the US is down. In Australia, it's rising really strongly. And I'm proposing that the reason for that is because of high house prices and because childcare is doable here, whereas in the US it's really difficult and more costly.
2: And I I actually agree with you. I, I actually say that the fact that the Americans haven't had a house price boom was probably the biggest factor that led to Trump. So all those people who lost their jobs manufacturing offshore into China did not have the million dollar house in Mich- in Michigan or Utah that left them comfortably retired. Whereas middle class wealth in Australia has been propped up by the world's most ridiculously overpriced housing market, which finished at ten trillion this year at the peak, and is now down to what maybe eight um, and a half trillion. And it's the greatest asset we've got. it keeps the wealth effect of that is massive. Absolutely massive, and that's you know the banks are worth four hundred thirty one billion. The big four banks because they're basically just giant building societies lending low risk loans into a housing bubble.
0: <sighs> yeah, that's an interesting theory. The U.S. house prices are up a lot, though.
1: Nowhere near as much as Australia over the last, particularly over, over last the last few decades. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, they did have a and if you look at it, if you look at it as crackly. a percentage of income, uh, it's unbelievable. The ch- the chart um, which I've got in my new daily column this morning the chart of uh, of uh, real estate as a proportion of income is between america and australia is unbelievable mm. um so check it out
2: ewan can you discuss possible black swan events of 2023 if one occurs would you liquidate all shares to cash or r- write it out my list says ewan um China invading Taiwan, Putin going nuclear, a more deadly COVID-19 variant um, variant, and a golden swan, Putin has a sudden exit, Ukraine, Ukraine war ends. Uh, and I said yes, and Naomi gets out of jail and becomes president, his wife becomes prime minister, Russia joins the quad and contains China and China says too good, well played, we'll leave Taiwan alone, stop protecting North Korea and call elections for Hong Kong. So that's my uh, golden swan. What are your black swans? <laughs> I didn't catch and, all that, Stephen. <laughs> well, the golden swan is obviously the reverse of a black swan. If something happens that's fantastic for the world, so that's a Russian coup and then China puts down its, uh, you know, if Russia and China give up on conflict, that is the ultimate golden swan for the markets in the world. But what are the black swans that could hit us, do you reckon? Well, as, as Ewan says, um, the whole point of a black
1: swan is you don't know it's coming. Yeah. So um, we th- we don't know it's coming, such as uh, Leclerc uh, cafe burning down. That would be horrible. I That'd think they horrible.
0: Got the the black swan's something around some sort of bad thing in the credit market. The world is hugely leveraged, and if yeah. there's if some
2: bad thing so happened Britain, in the credit market, Britain that would be Britain defaulting on their 4.1 trillion Aussie debt, public debt. That would be a black swan credit crisis, because they can't be bailed out by the ECB anymore, because they're out. Yes. yeah. I reckon we dodged one with, uh, if, if, if Le Pen had won the election in France, I reckon that would have been a black swan, because you would have had the biggest democratic power yet to go far right, and what that could have meant for instability in, in Europe.
1: How about uh, um, North Melbourne wins the AFL Premiership?
0: That would be a black swan <laughs> yeah.
1: it's a black I mean swan. I think I
0: think China is the, is the home of all colored swans <laughs> you know if the chinese property market really cracks and they can't get out of COVID, then that would be horrible for Australia. You, Stephen's commodity tax boom would just evaporate. Mm. Um, so I think that
1: Ch- China is the home of the yeah. uh, of the swans. Um, just on your just on your black swan, I read the other day from the Bank of International Settlements that there's eighty trillion dollars of derivatives yeah. um, that are off the books of the global banking system.
0: Yeah, I'd be more worried about that than 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 the UK. Yeah. I think yeah. people come in and buy the UK debt. Mm. P- pu- t- t- for and though, if Putin goes nuclear, don't worry about liquidating your shares to cash. Yeah. <laughs> You've got bigger
2: problems than that, yeah. my friend. And what about a climate yeah. black swan? So a, a, a massive wave of climate refugees leading to civil unrest. Well, that's probably not next year, but
1: it's not that far That's away. the long-term far one, yeah. 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 I mean, uh, everyone in Bangladesh is probably going to have to find somewhere to live. I mean... I
0: think we've, I think we've answered Adam's question about caps on oil, pro, yeah. coal and gas prices. But Ant says, as part of a divorce settlement, he's recently come into over a million dollars in cash and six hundred thousand in super. In my mid fifties, and want to maximise investments and minimise tax, etc. I'm looking to get a financial planner advisor. Ideally, I would want an independent one. But was rec- recommended one who works from Macquarie and another for Sure and Partners. I'm worried they'll just fill me up with products, their products, to maximise fees. What are your thoughts? Do truly independent advisors exist?
1: Uh, <laughs> they do, um, but whether they're independent or they work for Macquarie and Sure and Partners, the key point is to make sure you interview them um, carefully and ask them tons of questions, and do not be diffident at all with these people. I mean, you hire, act as if you're hiring a cleaner. You want references. You know, you want to know exactly what they're, what they're charging, how they're going to get, you know.
2: The problem is that, Alan, is the best ones are all flat out. It's like anything. You know, you want yeah. to find the best specialist in town, you've got to wait six months to get an
0: appointment. I think Ant can be relatively confident they're not going to be loaded up with their own products. You're not allowed to do that anymore.
1: You're not allowed to do that anymore. It is true, I think, that Advisors from Macquarie, probably more expenses, expensive than others. Maybe. I'm not yeah. I mean, That would be my yeah. guess.
2: I would look at the fees too. Don't take a whopping percentage of the annual asset pool fee. Pay per the hour and just manage the conflict if they're getting transaction commissions like brokers who the more you buy and sell, the more they make. Just manage that conflict so that you're aligned and don't be afraid to pay up for a fixed fee to get genuinely independent quality advice, yeah,
0: but as Alan says, do, do, do your work. Treat it like you're hiring, you know, yeah. someone in your
1: business, or mm-hmm. yeah.
2: But you can do lots of payments into super, and Aussie Super will get you 10% a year for for 10 years. Well, that
1: also give you financial advice. Yeah,
2: yeah. that's right. So I, I, you know, ETFs, LICs, you know, do you even need one? Well, it depends. He's
1: you know he's got a fair bit of money. I mean, he could probably do with a bit of advice to make sure he doesn't muck up the tax structure. Um, Fraser's got questions for each of us Are we going to go through this? Yeah So um, a question for Alan With all your videos and articles regarding housing, what's your opinion of the housing market in 2023? Mm. Um, he was fortunate enough to purchase his first apartment four months ago with a large deposit in Brisbane um, So uh, my view of the housing market in 2023 uh, is that it's clearly going to come down a bit more and um, Will it, uh, the, will it be the consensus view of a 15% fall in national house prices? I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's worth wh- – one of the exercises I've done lately, I haven't been able to do anything with it, is looking at other city house prices as a percentage of Sydney. Yes. <laughs> and um, uh, Perth has come down from 90% of Sydney to 50% of Sydney and Hobart's gone up from less than 50% of Sydney to about 80% of Sydney. Um, there, there, have been, there are big shifts going on between various markets. And so for, for one thing you'd say is that there is no longer really a national property market. Hmm. We can look at a national median price, but it's, it's kind of meaningless because the, the markets are so different now. Um, Sydney Sydney went up so high, it's, um, it's coming down faster. But, but other markets like Adelaide, Hobart, Brisbane um, are all quite uh, okay at the moment. Because they didn't go up so much.
0: Prices are coming back to late 2020 levels. I mean, that, that's that's yeah, where they're going. Um, that's what's happening. But that's that's not the worst
1: thing in the and world. And so, what's happening is that the the bubble of 2021 is just coming out. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: which everyone thought was silly anyway. It was
1: silly at the time,
2: <laughs> and, <laughs> and so. But it,
1: quite a few people bought at the top, so they're going to be in trouble. House yeah.
2: prices are so stupid. You have to live 728 years in Manningham to pay the value of your house in rates. That's $1.2 million is now the average house in wow. modest old Manningham. And the average rates are only 1800 Incredible value from local Incredible government.
0: Incredible value. Now, wow. James, this
2: James. is for, for you. What's your opinion on investment bonds? It seems a low-risk and tax-effective way for long-term investing to grow wealth outside of super. I'm in my early 30s and recently engaged in an advisor, so I'm not looking for personal advice, just your general thoughts. Uh, investment bonds, you don't hear much about them.
0: I mean, they were more of a life insurance product. They were, yeah. Um, and I know... Uh, Challenger and IWF still have versions of these. Um, the deal is, you get a tax break if you hold it for ten years. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, look, yeah. Uh, it, it could be good, depends on your circumstances. But again, I, you know, I know we've said this before. i just be wary of investing for a tax break because you know maybe that changes the risk reward and makes it work for you, uh, Fraser. But
1: the best look, the best tax break is super. Yeah, if, you, if yeah. you've maxed if you've maxed out your super and you still want to have a tax break investment outside of super, the only option is investment bonds, really.
0: Yeah,
2: but I just I'm just not sure. Well, that
1: the other the other the other option is listed company shares and franking credits. Yeah, I'm just If you sure low that's tax, a, the
2: franking credits are a great look.
1: Yeah, I'm just not
0: sure that's the. Your, your advisor will have a better feel for whether that's. Y- your big thing. That's speaking of the enough. super
2: rewards, let's deal with the other question in here saying, is it better to have your own SMSF because you only have to pay the 15% tax at the end of the year as opposed to paying as you go if you're in a more conventional super fund? Is that...
0: I've got no idea. My experience with SMSFs is entirely... Well, it's true
1: that you pay your tax on the SMSF once a year. Yeah. I, I just didn't know that you pay it as you go in super. Isn't super What's the Is What's that problem? right? Yeah, I, um, yeah, I
2: think that's right. So yeah. it does sound like it's a little, it's a minor, minor advantage for the SMSF.
1: But the, the, the third question from Fraser is the, for the cowboy from Manningham, <laughs> who presumably is you, Stephen. I enjoy your general ruckus you cause at AGMs, but you seem to demonise the public ownership of infrastructure assets from your recent rants, while
2: also advocating whipping out the money printed to nationalized Transurban good point. Well, all I was saying was I was objecting to Dan Andrews claiming he was going to recreate the SEC when it was Australia's most successful privatisation that, along with the gas and fuel, brought in $30 billion for Victorians and managed to deliver a service with 6,000 staff that was previously delivered by 24,000 staff. The lights stayed on and the prices were cheaper than Queensland, which still has government-owned electricity transmission and distribution. And uh, compared with Transurban, where 99% of roads in Australia are owned by governments mm -hmm. and Transurban having these monopoly toll roads in our three biggest cities, Mm -hmm. the company floated at a dollar. It's now $15. Motorists are paying over a billion dollars a year in, in those three big cities or about to. And I just think they're overpriced and it distorts urban planning because they go in there and they say to a government on a short term political cycle, have we got a deal for you? We'll spend three billion now if you give us a 10 year extension on our our contract. And I just think that it distorts urban planning and therefore it should all be nationally government owned. Whereas electricity, it's a hybrid model. And in Victoria, privatisation's been a great success. It comes down to price. We got great prices when we sold Luoyang Power Station for $4.85 billion to a dopey foreign consortium, and it's going to be closed in 2035, and they walk away losing billions, AGL. So so
1: there, yeah, cop that. Cop that.
2: Cop, 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 that. cop that, Fraser. There's, <laughs> a, there's
1: a question p- PS. here. I, 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 uh, Oz Super
0: investors have done brilliantly out of tra- Transurban.
2: Oh, every shareholder has done putting out a trans and then every government's been outplayed and every motorist's outcharged, yes. overcharged.
1: But there's a question here that looks like it's for James, oh. but I suspect it's from James. Yes, I'm curious as to unique. where you get your information for all the many and very interesting charts you create. So I, I create, I that, create
0: very few charts, but I know you do <laughs> that's
1: create a the lot. Chart of them. King. I do. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I don't create the charts, or not many of them anyway. I do
2: create some. How many get do they send to you? Do you get like hundreds of people saying, "Here, put my chart up"? I get some, but mostly it's just I'm on the mailing lists of all the investment
1: banks, mm. and they send their their normal pieces out. You know.
2: So do you uh, go shut? Do you go chart fishing? I do. Or do the charts jump into your boat? It's, that's the question, basically. But so, but and
1: I go every day, I sit down at about 12 or 1 o'clock uh, and uh, go on what I tell my wife is a graph, graph hunt. <laughs> so she says, what are you doing? I said, I'm graph hunting. <laughs> so I've got I to go through all my emails. I then look on Our World in Data, Statista, the Financial Times has always got good graphs in their stories. Are
2: there any copyright issues or you can reproduce anyone's chart with credit? So, as long as I put
1: the p- correct source on the bottom. Yeah, which you're more I of a character. chart curator than a chart maker. I am a, I'm a chart magpie. Magpie. Oh, yeah. Nice. Okay. You're the
2: number one chart educator in Australia. <laughs> That's a... You are. You are a I great have, educator it, well, by charts. Is, that is, is compl-
0: a, it is a heavyweight contest for that title too, so that's quite that's a compliment. right. It's
2: Alan first, and daylight second. Daylight second. Daylight second. Yeah. All uh, right. Well, breakfast is starting to come out. We're almost done? We're almost done. Ian L- this this says, last one's good
1: though. Uh, Ian says, it's appropriate that we have the three wise men this week. One thing that has always puzzled me in the F- Philip Lowe 2024 kerfuffle is why smart people such as yourselves ever took any notice of his statements. I mean, I know he's head of the RBA, but when I first heard him say that, my immediate thought was, that'll never happen. Well, kudos to you, Ian. Yeah. Or more accurately, he'll walk back from there as soon as he has to. Someone who doesn't follow finance can be forgiven for taking him at face value, but surely you guys are paid to know better and to say the quiet bits out loud. Well,
0: uh, s- sorry, Ian, I know what you're saying, but the, the Reserve <laughs> Bank Governor has, he's like a carpenter who turns up to your house with like three tools in his tool belt. He's got a hammer, interest rates, he's got sort of some pliers to squeeze the bond market every now and again, and then he's got his voice, where he communicates things, he jawbones the market, he tries to say, don't do this, or do do this, or if you do this, bad stuff's going to happen. what's the plumber equivalent of printing $350 billion? Oh, that, that's that's his pliers, that's, that's, that's twisting the markets around a bit. So what he says matters, the communications matters. It's one of their yeah, primary not, but tools,
1: it's, but it's not to be taken as a prediction. No, it's not it's, to be taken as a prediction, it's designed to influence behavior now, but once, right now. once you
0: lose the credibility in your communication, it's a problem.
1: And, you, it, it, and well, I mean, he's lost it, that's why he's not exactly, going to get another yeah. term. And,
0: and I mean, not only was the 2024 uh pred- prediction guidance uh, ill advised, but then he's then he's apology, I'm sorry if you took any notice of me. That's just ridiculous. You're the the RBA governor, we've got to take notice of you.
1: No, but the question is, Ian's point is, why did we
2: take any notice of him? Because we're we're smart guys. Because we have to take notice of him. On behalf of the hundreds of thousands of people who hocked themselves to the eyeballs following his advice, we're we're part of the accountability mechanism for the the suffering out there from Mm. leveraged people who followed his advice. Well said. I mean, if you talk about not being wrong for long. I mean, he's he's, he's wrong for two years he's in terms of what interest rates are going to be based on what he was saying. Let's just
1: uh, finish up with the one from Craig.
2: He's asking us to make some predictions. Oh, more. Yes. So <laughs> we've already done a we're, bit we're, of that. Yeah, but we've got to predict. He wants us to say, what is the official interest rate going to be when we sit down for breakfast this time next year? Mm-hmm. I'll say 3.5. 3.5. 8.5. I, I, I think they lift and hold. What's the inflation rate going to be in 12 months' time? Ooh. I'll say 5. Yeah, uh, yeah I'd say 4.5. I'd say 4. And where's the housing market from here? This is, this is actually from Ali, not... Oh, it is, sorry. It's Ali, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: so I think we're down 7%. I think we end up down another 10% from here.
2: Another 10. So yeah. 17. Yeah. Yeah. Another five.
1: Yeah. I'm, I, I guess I'd go with Stephen. Fine. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Cop that.
2: Cop that. Cop that. What about the stock market? Um, down 10% from here. A uh,
0: flat. I think we're, we're down maybe tw- as much as 20% in the first half of the year and then we recover that.
1: Which is what happened this year. We, we fell, I think, 20% or close to it uh, in the middle of the year and now we're flat. Yeah, so I think that happens again.
2: And wages growth for oh. the next 12 months.
0: Uh, everything anyone is telling me is, says it's running at 5 to 10% and I reckon yeah. that filters through for another year. So it,
2: it, I'm saying it'll still be lower than inflation. So it'll never it'll be it'll be four and inflation will be five.
1: Okay. Um, my wages growth I know already will be zero.
2: <laughs> Your own.
1: Your own. Yeah.
2: Well, well, you got the power to give give us a pay rise. I hope we are getting the free breakfast. This today. is
0: this is priceless anyway. So. <laughs> it is priceless.
1: We have good fun. So. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, that's it for the year. Thanks everybody for listening to us this year. We've uh, really enjoyed bringing you the Money Cafe. Um, from Leclerc Cafe in Hawthorne, and uh, it's been great. Thank you very much for st- for, uh, for Stephen and James. Thanks, Alan. It's been terrific fun.
2: A lot of fun. And I'd like to thank Greg and Maria, yes. our producers. We're about to sit down and have breakfast with the whole team. Wouldn't happen without them. No. No, indeed it would Absolutely.
1: not. Yeah. It
2: and would Merry not. Christmas to everyone.
1: Maria, oh, but that's the other thing, the big thing that happened this year is I stepped down as editor-in-chief of Eureka Report and uh, handed over to Maria.
2: And that's a tough job. now running the show. She's got to crunch my 5,000-word columns down to 2,000 words every <laughs> second week. It's bloody hard work, I tell you. <laughs> Why don't you just file 2,000? I know. <laughs> I get the, to speak once more. Do, do, some, do some work yourself. <laughs>
0: you
2: know, I move motion that we have hour-long <laughs> podcasts next year. You can't pack it into half an hour.
1: I think people need to just have a short – they need to just – you know, when they're exercising for half an hour or on the way to work. It does work half well. An half an hour. an hour is a nice We want to
0: give size. them a one we should hour to, special we should occasionally rather than that. frequently. Look, Greg's thinking of the editing he has to yeah, do yeah, we're
2: here. We're now over an hour. <laughs> we better sign off, I think, and order some breakfast. So. Uh, and we'll be back
1: on deck on February the 2nd, uh, 2023, with James Thompson. So send in the question for that uh, to the Money Cafe at eureka au. Until then, we'll see you and have a great Christmas and a new year.
2: Talk Bye, everyone. Then. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening.